Uh, do, you, uh, do you remember last week? Last week, we said this. Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. And our goal, I'll tell you what our goal is, is to not make a point. Our goal is to make a difference as a church. My goal, personally, is not to convert you to some peripheral issue. My goal is to help you see the love of God who is the one who changed my life. His name is Jesus. Remember, we focused in on James where it said that Jesus was quick to listen. He was slow to speak. He was slow to become angry. Now, today I want to talk to you about those people. Now, just for fun, I want you to raise your hand if you think you know who I'm talking about when I say those people. Raise your hand. We're in the church. All right, don't. Now, now don't take it a step further. Don't point at them because they're in here. Okay, don't suddenly point and go, it's that person over those. You know, those people are challenging. Those people are often critical. Those people are sometimes controlling. Sometimes they're incredibly arrogant. Sometimes those people are really, really mean. Those people. They're the ones that know everything. They're the ones that tell you about everything, every chance that they get to. You see, we see them shouting up a storm on social media. Maybe they're spreading rumors at the work that we work at. And let's be honest, there's always one at every big family gathering. And if you say that, if you say that there's not one in your family, my pushback to you is, be careful, it's probably you. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, we know we're called to love. We're called to love everyone. And we're called to love those people. Some of those people are a little more difficult to love today than ever before. Because there's so many complications in this world. And there's so much tension. If you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It'll be on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 4. If you find yourself like I do, I find myself easily getting frustrated. I find myself easily getting angry. I find myself easily getting offended, and the words of the Apostle Paul speak to me, and I hope they'll speak to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Anyone who's doing work should do something useful with their hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Look at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, slander, 
Get rid of everything that has a form of malice to it. And then verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. All right, I love that start. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Which is interesting because it implies something that, that there's this fact that it's not a sin to be angry. Just look at that verse. In your anger, do not sin. You see, if we go out anywhere and we interact with people today, if we go online and we interact with people today, if we open up the news app on our phone, we read the stories today, chances are somewhere, somehow, you and I will be offended today. You see, I try to remind myself over and over again that there is simply no win in being offended. There's no victory See, I've never found my life more joyful when I'm ticked off at someone. My marriage has never gotten better to Michelle when I'm angry at some injustice in this world. I've never gotten closer to God. I've never had more intimate conversations when I've walked around with, un, with ongoing unforgiveness towards someone who hurt me in my life. See, I need to remember that there is no win in living an offended life. But Matt, I'm offended. What should I do? I try to tell myself this, that being offended is inevitable. But living offended is a choice that I have. See, being offended is, is going to happen. Some of you might be offended at what I say today. You're going to be offended. Someone's going to offend you. It's going to happen, but you can still choose how you're going to respond. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is telling us pretty clearly there in Ephesians. Just be careful. Because if you and I hold on to anger, if we're always nurturing an offense that you and I have, if we're rehearsing the hurts, what we're actually doing is giving Satan a foothold in our life. So I did some research on the word foothold. Maybe you've read that verse before and you thought, okay, what's a foothold that that Paul's talking about? You see, I always thought a foothold was maybe you, you see a door and you put your foot into the door and you have a foothold into that room, like they can't shut the door anymore. Or maybe if I was climbing uh, a mountain or at a climbing center and you know those things that you hold on to and you put your foot on there to help you get to the next level? That little crevice? But the word in Greek is totally different that Paul's talking about. The, the word in Greek is topoos. The word actually means this. Topoos means a place or a room. In other words, if you go on and live in your anger, you're giving the devil, Satan, a place, a room in your heart. You're giving him a room in your life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to give Satan any access to anything that matters to me. I don't want to give him access to my marriage. I don't want to give him access to the intimacy that Michelle and I have. I don't want to give them the ability to attack my children and come into their lives and divide us. 
I don't want to give the enemy the ability to attack my friends, the people I do life with. I don't want to give the devil access to our church. See, if I live in anger and I harbor bitterness and I'm easily offended, Scripture says this, that we're giving Satan access to your life. Topos. Satan and the demons actually have schemes, it says, that they work against us. So then I got thinking this week, well, what do I think that Satan would want to do to break up the heart of God and hurt God's people? And I came up with three Ds, okay? They're going to be on the screen. If I were Satan and I was trying to scheme against God and his people, I would try to divide family and friends and churches. I would try to divide people. Here's the, the three D's. You'll see them behind me. You see, the, the first D is simply to divide. It's way easier today than it is ever before. All you have to do is get people in a room to talk about politics <laughs> mixed with misunderstanding. Splash in some toxic opinions and you might as well throw in your stuff about vaccines or masks or... Before long, guess what? You destroy friendships. You have family members that don't talk. You're ruining marriages and you split churches. See, if I was Satan, I would try to divide Christians because when Christians are united, we're unstoppable. But when we're divided, we're ineffective and we're very weak. So that's that first one, divide. The second thing that I would do if I was Satan is I would try to distract Christians from our mission. See, I would get Christians arguing about anything in culture. I'd get Christians actually boycotting some business. I'd get Christians angry about some sin. I'd get Christians complaining about the latest television series that we all hate and other people don't hate it as much as we do. I'd get Christians complaining about other Christians and complaining about the Netflix series that has all that Netflix series that has all that bad stuff in them. See, if I couldn't get them distracted with the normal stuff, then what I would do is I I would use Instagram or Facebook. I'd get them to compare with everyone else. I'd get them to argue over senseless stuff. I would send conspiracy videos to each other. I would try to distract Christians from their mission. See, I would just try to divide them. And then the third thing that I would do, the third D, is I I would discredit their witness. See, this would be relatively easy if you did the first two things right. I'd get Christians focusing on what they're against. I'd get them arguing about anything that they're mad about. My goal would be to keep them angry, critical, judgmental, self-centered, self-righteous. I'd get Christians to be easily offended and ticked off at the entire world. When I look at that strategy, and when I look at what I see in the world, that's not that far off. See, we used to think it's happening way, way out there. No, it's actually happening right in here. We see it happening in family members. We see it happening in the church The most loving people are almost always the most mean and harsh people. 
See, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says this, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let the day come to an end when you're still harboring an offense against someone. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. In other words, and if you hear nothing else today, hear this. This verse implies something incredibly powerful for us. The day of your hurt should also be the day of your healing. The day of your hurt should be the day of your healing. The same day that someone offends you should be the very same day that as a follower of Jesus, you're working to bring reconciliation into that relationship. Think for a second with me. How different do you think our friendships would be? How different would our families be? How different would the body of Christ be if the day that I offended you, I owned it? And I apologized and said, would you please forgive me? Or the day that you offended me, I had the grace, God's grace, as I have been so often forgiven to choose to forgive you. Or the day that I had a misunderstanding or a disagreement or a hurt, and we both said, hey, let's just let that thing go. How different do you think the world would be? That if on the same day of our hurt as followers of Jesus, we work toward healing. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry, Paul says. Because we don't want to give the devil, Satan, access to divide, to distract, to discredit you from being who you were called to be. Look down again at Ephesians 4 verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who are listening. Oof. How are we doing with that one? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. No belittling. No bad-mouthing. No criticizing. No gossiping. No name-calling. Don't let anything come out of your mouth except what is helpful for building up others to encourage to be a blessing. Let me let you in on a few rules that we have in the Wilkes household. These are some things that we've tried to live by. We don't always get it right. Here's four suggestions. The very first one is we don't call each other names. We never ever call each other's names. The second thing is we will never raise our voice. We'll never raise our voice. The third thing, we'll never get historical or hysterical. (laughs) Those two things are on the far ends of the spectrum. And the fourth one, and this one is not for me, it's for them. The most important rule is to never quote your pastor during a fight. I know my quotes are good, but please don't ever quote me in a fight. (laughs) Here is an even better way to say it than those four suggestions I gave you. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for, help, for building up others. Now, if you're like me, when you find yourself angry, I'm always tempted to justify my anger. I'm, I'm tempted to defend it. I would say this, well, you know, Matt, they hurt me, so they're in the wrong and I'm in the right. They betrayed me. They're wrong and I'm right. I'd say my anger is a righteous anger. 
Remember we used that word last week? And you could probably argue if we stayed here long enough that there is a time to be righteously angry. But let's unpack this just for a minute and ask ourselves, do we want to stick with that metaphor of righteous anger? Anger is a fire. Anger is a rage. Anger is destructive. Is there any other destructive force in Scripture that we like to call righteous? Think about other sins. Does anyone ever brag about their righteous greed? Oh, I've got righteous greed. I just want more and more all for myself. It's this righteous greed God gave me. Does anyone ever talk about their righteous lust? I mean, it's just a righteous lust. I mean, God made me this way. Somebody would never do that. Has anyone ever heard someone talk about their righteous gluttony? I mean, I just have to eat the whole thing for the glory of God. It's righteous gluttony. So friends, why do we try to justify our anger? And try to say it's righteous. And if we can, what are we supposed to do with that anger, even that righteous anger? Look at what Paul wrote in verse 31. Get rid. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all brawling and slander. It's almost like the author Paul goes like this. God, I'm going to name everything I can just to get through to you. If you're trying to give me a loophole, I'm going to fill that loophole with everything else. If I left out anything else, then I'm going to use these words, every other form of malice. That covers it all. And then in verse 32, Paul says something really profound. But let me tell you what it doesn't say in verse 32. He doesn't say, be angry, uh, sorry, be arrogant about your moral superiority. He doesn't say, be critical of everyone who thinks differently than you. He doesn't say, be harsh when you're dealing with stupid people. What he says is, be kind and compassionate. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let that sink in for a minute. What are we to be? We're to get rid of anger. We're to get rid of slander. We're to get rid of malice. And instead, you, ha- you and I are to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Here's where it gets tough, okay? There's a few pages left in the sermon. Where can you be kind and compassionate and forgiving? The answer is, you have to be up close. <laughs> it's un- impossible to be way far off and kind. Hey, I'm kind. I'm over here. I'm having compassion for you. I really feel for you, but I'm way over here. I forgive you, but I don't want to be close to you. To do what Paul's asking us to do, you actually have to be close in proximity. See, one of the churches that, one of the challenges I see with the church at large today is it's really easy to shout truth from a distance. Here's where you're wrong and here's where I'm right and I want to make a difference. It's easy to shout truth from a distance, but it takes time to love up close. It's incredibly ineffective to shout and be angry from a distance. 
It's incredibly effective to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. To get into someone else's world, to understand their hurts, to understand their fears, to have compassion for a different way of thinking instead of trying to be right all the time. And when we try to be right all the time, we forfeit God's call to be loving. Are we not better than that? Get close. Listen, when was the last time you listened to someone who's incredibly different from you and you love them even though they're incredibly different from you? Be kind and compassionate. It's easy to hurl truth from a distance. It takes time. It takes work. It takes an enormous amount of effort to love someone up close. Let me play this out for a minute. There's this guy. He's always right. I mean, he's right about everything. He's right about how church should be done. He's right about what theology is right. What all those other churches are doing, which is wrong, including me. He knows everything about how to spend money. Everyone else is not as smart as him. He's right about how everyone should raise their kids. He's right about what the government does that's wrong. He knows the truth, the real truth about COVID. His sources are always right. He listens to the right doctors and the right politicians. He's right. Do you know anyone like that? But what if I'm one of those people? Let's be honest. I know a lot about a lot. I'm the guy on the mic telling you how to live your life. What if I'm one of those people? And what if you are too? Because I can guarantee you there's a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us. That's why it's incredibly important for us to pray a really dangerous, humbling prayer. A God-honoring prayer. Psalm 139, David penned these words in verse 23 and 24. And I dare you this week to pray this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Test me, God. See if there's any anxious thoughts in me. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, search my heart. God, you know I'm arrogant. God, show me where I'm judgmental. Show me where I'm self-deceived. God, show me where I'm harboring anger against a group of people or against an individual. God, show me where I'm carrying an offense. Show me where I'm not being kind and where I'm not being compassionate and where I'm not being forgiving and where I'm not letting go of the anger or the malice or the slander. Be kind and compassionate. Because I don't want to give Satan any access to my heart, to my marriage, to my children, to my friends, to my church. Because friends, when you and I live in anger, when we give Satan a place, a room, a foothold, all Satan wants to do is divide, he wants to distract, he wants to discredit, and he wants to destroy. See, what I've found out in my life is that being offended is inevitable. But because of the grace and the goodness of God, living offended is a choice. And in the same way I've been forgiven, I want to be more forgiving. Because I don't know about you, but my life has never been better 
when I'm angry. I've never been more loving when I've been easily offended. And what I've noticed is that every single minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute of joy. And every minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute of peace. And every single minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute where I could make a difference in someone else's life. That's why I know being offended is inevitable. But living offended is a choice. And Scripture says, hey, if you do get angry, don't go to bed. What it says is, let's take it before God. Let's deal with it. Because we don't want to give the devil any room in our lives. Friends, daybreak, we have a higher calling. We're not going to shout truth from a distance. We're going to get into the lives of people. We're going to hurt with them. We're going to work through some things with them. You know what we're going to do? Daybreak, we're going to be kind. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to forgive others as Jesus forgives us. And if we can do that, we can keep the devil out. And we can keep the Spirit in and we can make a difference. A divided world needs a united church. A dark world needs a church full of brightness. We're not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. We're not here to make a point. We're here to make a difference. We want to make a difference with the love of Jesus. Let me pray, and then we're going to actually respond to this. You're nice and quiet. We're going to respond by just declaring some truths as a congregation from Psalm 139, right from Scripture. So let me pray. God, in the next few minutes, may you soften our hearts. Lord, we want to respond to you in a way that is not just formulaic. We don't want to have a rally. We want to respond to you from Scripture. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. In your name, amen. I'd love for you to stand. On this screen, you're going to see my part, which doesn't have any letters beside it. Your part is going to have a C beside it. I'm going to say the first one, you're going to respond. This is our declaration back to God. This isn't a declaration just for us as a church. This is a declaration of us as individuals back to God. Search me, God. Test my heart. See if there's any anxious in me, way in me. See if there is any offenses in me. Show me, God. Humble me, God. Lead me in the ways of everlasting. Help me to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving others as you have forgiven me. And all God's people said, Amen.